Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we are now underway with Formula One 2015. Can I tell you how excited I am that the season has begun, and we've, we've got one race down, and 17 more to go. 18 more to go. 18 more to go. It 20 been, minus 1, it, not 19 minus yes, 1. Yes, it, it, it should have been 19, and we'll, we'll get more. It should have been 19 more races. We'll get more into why we're now down it to 18 more races from here. Uh, we'll do that towards the end of the show. Our opinions on that one and how that's coming. <laughs> bending and warping the calendar. Well, speaking of being down... I think we have just sunsetted one F1 driver's career. Well, we kind of knew this was going to happen. Um, but officially, the whole Sauber, Guido Vandegaard, BHF has ended. It has come to a conclusion. And I don't think either side looks good. I don't think so either. Um, Guido has settled. He didn't want to settle for the money. He wanted the, the seat. But he also recognizes that his time in f1 is truly done that no team is ever going to touch him after this experience um but i have to say if monisha keltenborn gets to keep her job after this i'm stunned yeah yeah this is just it, it, it would be one thing if this was an isolated incident but this is just one in a string of really stupid moves. And I get it. Somebody came with a bigger check that they were ready to pay right now, and the team was in that much trouble. But still, you didn't figure out a way that to void this contract or deal with this contract so that you didn't get hammered? Well, that's the problem. You didn't take care of one problem before you entered into another problem. And coming off the heels of a zero-point season? Yeah. I don't think... I, I don't think she's leading well. And the press that the team got, not just from the pundits, but from the other drivers. Nico Hulkenberg coming out and saying that this is just par for the course of the way this team does business. That's just, I mean, that was harsh. It was. And the black eye isn't just on Sauber. It's F1 in general. Mm -hmm. And the F1 ruling body made no comment. They stuck their head in the sand like an ostrich through the whole thing. They've made no comment one way or the other. They've made no support one direction or the other. And truly, where are they in all of this? Well, you know, I can understand them wanting to stay out of this fight. The, the reality is F1 as an organization does not normally tell the teams – how to run and manage their business. And this truly was an internal business decision. It was a bad internal business decision, but it was an internal business decision. But the problem is that it was providing a black eye for F1 in general. Yeah. And the FIA and F1 Sporting Authority has the obligation to point at Sauber and go, get your butts in a room, close the door, and figure this out before it goes to court. And that's all they had to do. Yeah. They didn't have to get involved in what the negotiation was, but they could have told them that they needed to keep this out of court. Yeah, okay, I'll go I'll 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 give you that. I don't I don't know. I think that they have an obligation to make the teams not make the whole sport look stupid. That that they do. 
but there's so much of that that has happened in the last week that yeah, I don't. <laughs> They'd be very think, busy if they yeah. did. <laughs> and then there, then you get you know Bernie who goes and makes a comment on top of it, and it doesn't help. Bernie of the bad hair, Bernies. Yes. Bernie is. Is he an evil genius or senile? Really. I. I'm I'm gonna withhold some of my opinions until later because as we get a little further on to some of the other stories and some remarks that Bernie made, I just yeah, we'll get to that later. Is that gonna but, become the ongoing question of our se- of the entire season? Is he an evil genius? Or Cena? Oh this week or this season I think we are going to see more signs of Bernie manipulating things than we have seen in several years. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. You know, you remember how Bernie said he wasn't interested in social media? Yes. Do you know somebody in his organization has decided to have open an Instagram account? I heard something about They an launched Instagram an Instagram account. account this past week. In his name? Not in his name, in the in Formula One, who had traditionally been away from. Yeah, I, I had heard that there was officially there was a there were and we didn't talk about it last week. We noticed it last week, but we didn't mention it. Formula One has realized that they need to pay attention to their online presence a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, they redesigned their website, which it looks really good. They came out with a, a completely redesigned app has potential if you're willing to if you're willing to pay for it and i don't begrudge formula one for wanting to charge for premium content i have no problem with that that makes great sense to me where i have a problem is that if you go to formula one's website now you get this thing that says that they're i believe it's formula one access is what they're calling it but their their fee system to to get to this premium content that you get a month free as a trial in order to get the trial, you have to sign up and register and commit to oh, the, so the, the subscription. Is it a matter of you can cancel after a There's mo- nothing there about, about canceling. It, and it get basically your money says, back or that they're going to withhold the charge for a month? It says you're not going to get charged for the first month. But at the end of the first month, we're going to charge you. And there's nothing there about that you can cancel or do anything else. To, yeah. That's not a free trial. That's a... Sign up now, and you'll get the first month free. Completely different thing. Do you want to give me a free trial? Either tell me that I have the option to cancel Mm -hmm. or don't take my credit card, and then just lock everybody out after that first month. Mm -hmm. Especially since they've said that you'll have it free until this date. I want to say it was like April 11th. Interesting. Yeah. But the site looks good. I'll give them that. Um, speaking of Bernie and his comments and a little upset, um, the one team that did not start at all, did not make it to the grid, completely bombed. They left their keys back in, uh, England. Yeah, and we, and we talked about this last week. We didn't, coming out of qualifying, we didn't expect Madame Marussia to make an appearance anywhere. Sure enough, they didn't. Mm-mm. Um, well, Bernie's a little upset. Actually, Bernie's a lot upset. One of his magnanimous gestures to the teams was that he, especially the teams that were struggling, was that he was going to go and waive the shipping fees and ship their stuff to the races at no charge. Was it waive or or postpone? Because I think it was postpone. 
No, I believe it was waived. Oh. Um, well, in exchange for that, Bernie expects you to run the races. Well, yeah. So the fact that they did not race really, really ticked off Bernie. To the point that Bernie has said that he is going to give them an invoice for the shipping. He doesn't think that they had any – his exact words, they had no intention of racing in Australia, zero. They couldn't have raced if somebody had gone there with a machine gun and put it to their head. It was impossible. They had no intention. We'll have to see now, and they will have to pay their way to get there and get out of there. He is just livid. Okay. Let's give a little perspective for a moment. Okay. As the voice of reason, Manor Marusha has had three weeks. They Well, they had three weeks to get a car to conform to and pass the regulations for the 2015 car. Mm-hmm. They had always intended to try to run a modified 2014 car because they had come out of receivership, what? A month ago? Well, more than just that. They didn't just come out of receivership because they had been auctioning assets off. They don't records have some of the were pieces. De- records were destroyed. Parts were gotten rid of. All of it. Gone. Oh, yeah. So they uh, – what's his face of Manor Marusha? He had three weeks to get a working car. He Graham ins- Loudon is the principal. He insists that it was a software glitch that occurred on the, the track, mm-hmm. that they had a running car – that they brought there, but a software glitch in them, and they could not get it fixed. Now, they don't have a team elsewhere to ship them, like, an update or yeah. a re-image of their software. They, they probably can't reboot the car. Yeah. How does Bernie, in his... Well, it's because he doesn't have any connection to reality. The man can't walk through a revolving door. So why do we think that he would understand that three weeks is not enough time to get a car up and running with a reasonable expectation that it could run. Not that they were duplicit in the process. I don't think that they took a car saying, we're going to ship this car all the way there and show up but not run. Next, Now, here's the thing. The rule had always been or had been understood to be that you could miss up to three races in any given year. Yep. However, the rule is, in fact, and Bernie pointed this out prior to the Australian GP, that the rule actually is you can miss three races in one contract period. The distinction is very important because Marusha missed three races last year. Yep. Had the rule been in a a given season... They would not have shipped the car there. They would have known they weren't ready, and they'd probably have shown up in Malaysia just fine. Mm-hmm. They had to show up at the track. And, and they had to get the car it, – it, the car had to pass scrutineering. Right. It was, it was the key piece there. And it passed, it passed scrutineering, and it got to the track. Mm-hmm. And those were the things they had to do. Now, just because they had an issue on the track or in the garage, mm-hmm. it, it still met the letter of the law, of the rules. Mm-hmm. Bernie is PO'd because I think he found a way to get rid of Manor Marusha and not give them the 23 million pounds, 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 um, that they're going to be owed for that one point that they had last year. Well, there's 
a bunch of questions. Some of it is, you know, not participating in three or more events, and it is the team still legal at this point. The other question is the requirement the, – the overall contract agreement says that a, a team cannot go into bankruptcy. They must remain solvent throughout the period of the contract in order to maintain their, their eligibility and to maintain their entrance and their share of the prize fee. Well, and we already know that that's that, not the case. That isn't the case. So that's the other question of does anybody want to push the fact that they may not legally be entitled to that money anymore based on this contract? The thing is, I think honestly that the field is truly split. You've got the Bernies of the world that hate the backmarker teams. Mm-hmm. They they don't live in a reality that says you grow people from small to big. And that you you need the back marker teams to develop drivers, to develop programs, to develop staff. I mean, think about it. You don't get to just be a Ferrari wheelman because you stepped into Ferrari's offices one day and said, hi, I'd like to be a wheelman. Well, you know, you got to build up to those things. I, I, Bernie doesn't care about that. You're, you're 100% right. What he cares about and what manner is not bringing them. At all. Sponsorship dollars. Yep. There's not a single sponsorship on on that car. There's not a single logo other than Pirelli's on that car, which means FOM isn't getting money. So he doesn't care. He doesn't want them there. Well, and that's that's the part of Bernie doesn't live in a reality. I mean, if if Bernie was – see, this is, I think, the part that I don't understand about Bernie. It's cutting his nose off to spite his face. Think about it. You support this backmarker team that is an absolute Phoenix story. Mm-hmm. Follow me. It's a Phoenix story. You give them, you, you, you work with them to get them through the first couple of races because I'm going to tell you, the minute they get a working car on that grid, they're going to get a sponsor. They're going to get somebody that says, I'm willing to give you even if it's a million, even if it's a small amount, put that on there because every single um Network that covers F1 is going to be all over Manor's car mm-hmm. if they can get a car that can make it to a finish line. They're going to want to talk to them. They're going to want to picture the car. That is going to be gold sponsorship right there. And if they can get it in there pretty cheap, you've got nothing competing on that ch- car except Pirelli and JB17. Um, That's it. Well, Why? I mean, we could probably give them 50 bucks and get the bloke and the bird put on the car. <laughs> Well, why don't you email the team and see? I just might. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, the the last thing I'll throw out there is Autosport. After every one of their race, after every race, does driver rankings and, mm-hmm. and some commentary on the driver, and um, they they gave a little bit of commentary on Will Stevens and his performance. <laughs> um, as, you know, his start, finish, and strategy, they were all not applicable. His rating was not applicable. But their comments was that Stevens would probably prob- – excuse me. Stevens probably would feel worse about this weekend if he hadn't already made his Grand Prix debut for Caterham in Abu Dhabi last November. He was pleased with his own performance in passing the mandatory time test for exiting his car's cockpit safely. Otherwise, did an excellent job standing around and watching the race. <laughs> Way to go, Will Stevens. <laughs> Now, as for the race. The race. The reality is. 
If you say that that race was processional, I'm reaching over no, and smacking I, I'm, you. I'm not going to say that. Actually, I will make a comment to our friend Phil who sat down <laughs> and watched a race. Congratulations. Welcome to the insanity that's Formula One. Good job on sticking through it because the reality was after about lap five, it settled down and it did get kind of dull and there wasn't a lot going on. It was those first couple of – and it's not – you don't always have that at the start of it. Usually the start can first, be kind of crazy. This one was a bit more than normal. But, yeah, after that it kind of settled down. And the, what was up with the attrition on this one? You know, last year – a lot. Actually, the best way to describe it is – and hopefully you caught the video over on our Facebook page. If you haven't, go ahead and take a look at it. It was the recorded cold opening – uh, that BBC did to open up their coverage um, and describes it perfectly. After the revolution, which was last year and the major change, but after the revolution comes the tweak. This should have been a tweak. There were no major changes to the regulations, yet somehow the race started with 13 cars. It started with 13? 13. Okay, because, well, what's our grid total anyway right now? If we had a full grid, it would be 19? No. Uh, 18. 18. 18. All right, so we lost both yeah. Manor Marouches. Mm -hmm. So that takes us down to 16. You lost Botas. You lost Botas because of back injury. Um, and he couldn't pass, the reason he couldn't race is he couldn't pass the mandatory exit, mm -hmm. car exit um, thing. Um, we lost uh, uh, Max. Um, the the seventeen year old guy. No, you no. lost Danny Caviot. We lost Caviot in a gearbox issue, mm -hmm. and then you lost Magnuson when his engine blew up on, on the, the way, way to, to the, the grid. grid. Okay, so we lost those five mm -hmm. before the race even began. Yeah, we started with thirteen cars, so we only lost two during the race. I thought we had no, we had more. You, you you lost. You only lost two during the race. You lost – actually, you had to have lost more than – You that. had to have lost more because neither Lotus finished. Right. Raikkonen um, didn't finish. Raikkonen didn't finish. And Verstappen didn't finish. Yeah, Verstappen didn't make it very far. But there were 11 cars that finished the race. Yeah. That's it. Now, to put that in perspective, as, as bad as that was, and <laughs> first off, last year it wasn't near – they lost, what, three cars total? Everybody made it to the grid. Everybody started the race. The cars started dropping out after the race started. Right. So to have this many cars die before we even started because Grosjean was an engine – not only was Grosjean an engine failure, but it was an engine failure – on a Mercedes engine after Gro after Lotus went the entire preseason test on one engine. Yeah. Figure that one out. I, I for, But in Lotus's other defense, Pastor Maldonado made it into a wall and it wasn't his fault. Yeah. How often does that happen? Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never. Um but here's okay. I have a theory. Okay. Based completely in non-fact. Okay. Thus, my theory. I believe that the other teams were so baffled by an offput by Mercedes dominance in the Revolution year that they tried to do too much instead of taking the tweaks down, you know, and 
tweaking a little bit. I think they tried to revolutionize the car. I, I would agree with you if it wasn't for the fact that we know Renault has most of their tokens still. And Ferrari have, have most of their tokens. They haven't rolled out all their upgrades yet. Well, I understand that. And why Renault has not up, rolled out upgrades, I don't understand. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to their issues in a bit. But to put this in perspective, as much as it was pretty bad that only 11 cars finished, which meant only one car was out of the points. Hi, Jensen. Um, it wasn't the worst finish that they've had. F1 has. Yeah. Um, in Monaco in 1996, and again in 30 years earlier in Monaco, they had just four cars finish the race. Four. Okay. In 96, it was wet, by the way. And it may have been wet in 66, too, for all we know. Jackie Stewart run, won that race. In 66, yes. Yeah, not in 96. He was not racing <laughs> in 96. <laughs> no, it was... Cozart Oli- got second in the 96 race, though. Olivier Panis, who won mm-hmm. that, that race in Monaco. Cothard got second. He did. I'm just making a shout out because I like to watch Cothart and well, you know, uh, ye of the tight pants. Yes. Well, well speaking of, of David Cothart, you know, everybody likes to, when they talk about the race, they start from the front and work their way back. Yeah. We're going the other way because, honestly, the McLaren story is much better. I love the McLaren <laughs> story. Hey, before you launch into what Cothart and Jensen talked about. Okay. Um, I was reading articles in prep for our show today. And I read an article, and I haven't had a chance to make the verifications and all the, you know, mm-hmm. double, triple verify and run it by Politico and all sorts of things to make sure it's true. But one of the statements that was pulled out was something that Prost said that even back in the last time Honda was in Formula One, they weren't very good. That what made them Honda- good was that, com- that competition between Senna and Prost, but they weren't a very good engine. I, you know, I don't know about that. What I do know is that when Honda fielded their works team, they were not good at all. And I think it was two years before they threw up their hands and said, the heck with this, we're done. And that was BAR Honda. Mm-hmm. Actually, it may have been BARF1, so BARF1. <laughs> <laughs> Bad name for a team. But that Honda walked away as the works team Ross Braun saved that team with Jensen Button as the driver. Jensen won. That was the year Jensen won his world championship. Two thousand seven. Uh, I don't recall the year off the top of my head, but that no, team. No, two thousand. Jensen won after Hamilton. Uh, I think it was before. Again, okay. I, see, I told you you should have brought the book up with you. I should, but I didn't. But anyway. Braun bought that team, brought it through one constructors, Jensen gets his title. That's the team that became Mercedes. You know, you almost need, like, scorecards to keep straight how the teams have evolved, you know. You've well, got the— This is why no Jordan team— became Force, Force India, India yeah. and Red Bull was Jaguar at one point, and, and what had Benetton become? And, yeah, this is why no team can run retro car schemes. Yeah, yeah, because so, they're not the original teams. I mean, 
even the silver arrows aren't the silver arrows consistently from 50 years ago. No, not even close. That that team doesn't even exist. It, it didn't morph into anything. It just went away. Yeah. Um, anyway, so back to the grid walk with DC and Jensen. Yeah. You know, we we last week we had on the full post-qualifying interview with Susie Perry. We got it wrong. It wasn't Lee McKenzie. It was Susie Perry. Um, and Jensen's very long comments on that. It was... Kind of illuminating, as it were. You gotta love Jensen. He will put a sunny face on anything until he's yeah. finally fed up. Now, I will admit, you lose a little of this in the audio, but uh, David Cothard caught up with Jensen pre-race on the this grid. This is walking to the grid. This is walking on the grid. On the grid. He's um, walking to his car. And some pre-race comments from Jensen. So, Jensen, uh, difficult weekend so far, but optimistic for the race. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky. Obviously, you know we haven't done a race distance yet, so um, this is all learning for us. But if we can get to the finish, I think it'll be a massive uh, achievement for us in terms of learning with this car. So the basic car doesn't feel too bad. So it's still gonna be fun for me out there. But uh, obviously there'll be a few things that we have to solve during the race. But hopefully it'll uh, be, bring us closer together and focus us for the next one. Well done for being upbeat. <laughs> There's there, there was just pause. so much there. The pause, what you lost is between DC's first question and the um from Jensen. The laugh. There, the laugh. The there was a of, look. What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> you are not asking me that question as I'm going to go walk to the very back end of this grid with a car that's done 12 laps. I mean, seriously? Now, we, we've gotten some more information as to what is going on with this car. What is going on? I don't on think it's car? necessarily good. One of the things that they have done was Honda is concerned because they haven't gotten more than 12 consecutive laps out of it. Very concerned about the cooling to this car. Um, there's concerns aerodynamically, which McLaren says isn't an issue. It's a very tight package in the back. It's got a tight butt. But, um. <laughs> what, it's been doing Pilates or something? Uh, apparently. <laughs> Little car but, Pilates. But the Honda is very concerned about the cooling, doesn't want to overheat it. They have turned down the power on the engine. The estimate that I've heard is that they could be running at just 35% power. Whoa. So if they could turn that up a little bit, he might actually get a point. They, they could have done about 1,000 times better if they turned that car up a bit. So they're, they're handicapping themselves, and the concern I have is they're concerned about the cooling now in Australia where it is the fall, and the temperatures were going down. There, there was concern about the tires holding up because of the cooler temperatures. What are they going to do when they get to Malaysia where it's a whole lot warmer or Bahrain or even worse, Singapore? Well, okay, but they had only done 12 laps prior to this. They have 48 more laps of knowledge than they had going into this race. True. And truly, in listening and deciphering the uh, blowing smoke that Jensen does, <laughs> um, here's what I have determined Jensen has really said over, between the various interviews I've listened to. He thinks that the car handles better than it has ever handled in any 
F1 car he's ever driven before. And I've got an explanation for that. So. Well, wait. And if he can get power from the engine to the car, he believes he can actually do something with it. But he can't get power from the engine to the car until they can turn it up, and they can't turn it up until they get some data. Yeah. So hopefully now they've got a little bit of data, and I think that they will be able to start turning that thing up. And maybe we will see a change. But I think it was foolish to think that we were going to see this renaissance of McLaren Honda in car in race one with 12 laps of testing. You know, what I found disappointing, it wasn't so much that the car was at the back of the grid. We kind of expected that. What bothered me more than anything, what I found the most disappointing more than anything else was how far behind that car was. It, was it wasn't twice. so much that it was so far back. It was that it was, well, it wasn't so much that it was in the back. It was that it was so far back and they were so outclassed. And although, got to say this, I don't think that there has been a time in recent history where a battle for last place got so much attention as that battle between Jensen holding off Perez. And he did a great job holding oh, yeah. him off. I mean, it, it, it was inevitable at some point Perez was going to get past him or he was going to crash one or the other. But, but it was, it was, it was good, a decent great race battle race. at the back of the – and that never happens. <laughs> you know, I say every week that I want to put – to rest this idea of the racing of old was so much better and the mm -hmm. racing of today and they need changes and changes need to happen and yada. I want so badly to say that and I'm going to give one more example of why I think Formula One should back off from that a little bit. We have more wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing throughout the grid than we've ever had before. The fact that the BBC could focus on the back end of the race mm -hmm. as well as there was not a cakewalk going on up front either. I mean, yes. But there wasn't a lot of time spent up front. It was mostly focused on the mid-pack and what Jensen was doing. <laughs> well, yeah. But do you remember last year when we started the season and Nico – okay, so the first race, Lewis had a retirement mm -hmm. and Nico took off with that race and all the coverage was in the the mid pack yep. and for second and third and fourth and all that and that was the same way it was with their one two in malaysia last year mm -hmm. and you know we didn't see any of the racing from up at the front do you remember what cothard said during the uh, bad for the sponsors it was bad for the sponsors for there not to be a fight for first yep and then we hit Bahrain, and it was wheel-to-wheel, -wheel and it was exciting. But it wasn't just wheel-to-wheel -wheel up front. It was wheel-to-wheel -wheel in a bunch of different places. Mm -hmm. And that made for a great race. And I think if they just stop with all of the, we got to tweak this, we got to tweak that, we got to do this, we got to do that, and just realize that all of these things that are going on right now allow for wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing throughout the grid, which really gives equal weight to some of those sponsors. I mean, if you've got... Perez and McLaren battling it out for last, and you've got some people up front that are battling it mm -hmm. out for the first place. Because, like I said, it's not a cakewalk that Lewis and Lewis is going to walk away with it. Well, you know, you also got to keep in mind there were fewer cars for them to follow. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> there were a lot fewer cars because 
from my understanding, we don't know this because they never actually got on TV, but from my understanding, every so often, there was a really heated battle in the back of the pack last year between the Caterhams and the Marouches. I know. But we never saw it because they were all the way back there, and there well, was other stuff going there on. There were other cars that were more notable, more interesting. Yeah. You know, they didn't have as much competition. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when there's only 11 cars finishing the race, they could focus a little yeah. bit more all the way down the grid. So I have an explanation. We, we've heard a couple of times. We talked about this last week a little bit, and you heard Jensen mention it about how this car is so much different. And mm-hmm. and I've got an explanation as to what has changed about this car. Um, basically, its design marks a philosophical shift for McLaren. For teams, the car have chased peak downforce with the result that the car is unpredictable and difficult to drive in corners because the downforce levels were inconsistent. Now, you need to understand that aerodynamic levels or aerodynamic design in F1 cars is a compromise. The more downforce a team chases from, say, the front wing, the more likely that the part is to stall and suddenly lose downforce because the airflow is displaced. This is called peaky downforce and is what was happening to McLarens in the last few years. Now they have changed to actually what is more in line with what Red Bull does, uh, of aiming for more consistent and stable aerodynamics, which allow the driver to have more confidence and therefore push harder. So Jensen describes that last year the car had a lot of downforce initially, but when you hit the brakes, or or had a lot of downforce initially when you hit the brakes, but it was very on the nose on turning. And when you turned in, you lost all all the front end at the apex. This year, it does what you hope it will do and allows them to be more precise. So it's more predictable. Well, let's get it predictable with some power. Yeah, well. All right, so we've beaten McLaren Honda up. Who else can we beat up? Oh, let's see. This is the the bold statements. That, I mean, you had to have some serious... Huevos. <laughs> Eggs? To um, do what Christian Horner did this past week. Is he still the bearded leader of... Yes, the bearded leader of, of Red Bull. He, he um, has not shaved yet. Um, after the race, and obviously the team is extremely upset. And we mentioned this last week, that the team is extremely upset with Renault. Um, as a result of this, and being so spitting mad... Horner has has called for the FIA and FOM to somehow equalize the playing field and handicap Mercedes while, you know, complaining about uh, Renault and their issues, which to Renault's credit, they came out and released a statement that pretty much said, yeah, they're right. We're really behind. We don't know what's wrong. We don't know what we need to fix. We don't know how. The estimates are that the car is down a hundred horsepower on Mercedes. A hundred horsepower. The um the engine that was delivered and was run in Australia is believed to have the same amount of power as the one that they ran in Abu Dhabi last year. There was no performance gain. Okay, so Adrian Newey, who mm-hmm. I know is splitting his time between America's Cup and yeah, um, but he was 1. in Australia. Um, he said that the Renault engine that was delivered this year has the same power as last year, which is what you just said, mm-hmm. but is worse to drive. Yes, 
what, so what it is. That one out. The, well, the, the explanation is how the engine puts down power. Mm. Um, it's not this smooth. Okay, as you open up the throttle, you get this gradual increase of power. It's you'll open up the throttle to eighty percent, and all of a sudden you get the surge of power. So it it causes the back. You lose control of the car because you 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 can't predict when you're going to get hit with this power. Um, Daniel Kafiat described it uh, his experience in free practice as not so much driving but guessing because wow. they don't know when they're getting hit with the power. That's why it's gotten so much worse. Well, here's the thing I don't understand. Okay. I'm the, of, of many things I don't understand. Red Bull and Toro Rosso run the same Renault engine, correct? Yes. How come Toro Rosso is able to use the power effectively and Red Bull's not? Theoretically, it's a difference in aerodynamic design. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait, did I just hear that right? You mean it's not just the engine? Well, nobody has a good answer for why Toro Toro Rosso isn't struggling the way that Red Bull is. Or at least that they're doing well enough that they are nipping at Red Bull's heels. Well, that's the thing. In qualifying, they were almost as fast. And um, once the race got started, Daniel Ricciardo failed to overtake a Sauber. A Sauber! Well, that's because obviously the Ferrari, and and we know, Ferrari has started to sort things out with that car. And they've got a ways to go. But those engines, Ferrari's figured something out with those engines, and they got a performance boost over last year. Now, in combination, because it wasn't just the calls for the FIA and FOM to equalize everything, but uh, Helmut Marco, who is their motorsports advisor, even went so far as to allude that the t- if things do not change, Red Bull could consider pulling out of the sport. Oh, so if they don't win all the championships, they're going to pack up their gearboxes and go home. Yeah. Yeah, no. They've signed a contract with Bernie. They have to be in the sport till 2020, or they lose a metric ton of money. Well, you know, let's think about this. They signed a contract that that, allow, that commits them to the sport till till 2020. They refurbished... The racetrack in Austria mm-hmm. that Red Bull owns to attract Formula One back in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, and as a consequence of signing this contract that dedicates them to, to be in a sport, it gets them A, more money in the pro- from the prize fund, and B, a seat in a strategy group that designed these rules. Mm-hmm. They could have, and, and I wrote an article about this. They could have gone and over and vetoed this rule change. Yeah, but they took the that uh, the same bet that everybody else had of, well, you know, there's a possibility that we could get it right, mm-hmm. and it would work. But no. And but that's the thing. That's what marks every one of these eras in Formula One is that somebody there's a revolution of change of some type, mm-hmm. whatever that type is. And somebody gets it right, and the rest of the field plays catch-up for a few years while we watch the one that got it right dominate. And the last time around, it was Red Bull that got it right. Now, 
You can't always get it right. Several journalists and I think most of the internet called the bearded leader on his statement to which he turned around and said he didn't really back it up. But he did turn around and say, well, you know, we had to deal with this several times during that run and we weren't as dominant as Mercedes is. We weren't running away with it nearly as much as Mercedes is. That gap wasn't there. We lost the the blown diffusers. We lost the double diffusers. We lost the fueling. We had to go and adapt to this stuff. The problem with his logic, and and yes, they did, and the FIA came out with all, including changing tests to try and slow the team down. But there's no trick part. There's no trick piece of the aerodynamics that is giving Mercedes a success. To that point, Lewis Hamilton came out this past week in response to the bearded leader's quotes and said that he would beat anyone in the same car. I'd believe it. And you know something? Although it would be very interesting. Lewis and Alonzo. Same car. Uh Uh-huh. Same car, same same track. I would love to see that for a race. I don't want this to turn into NASCAR where everybody's driving the same setup. I don't want that. But... I would love a a twentieth put up or shut up moment. You know, a twentieth <coughs> exhibition race, not yeah. for points, not for anything, but put them all in this. You know, equalize the. You want to talk about equalize the track? Equalize it out for once, and truly say, okay, this is a drive. This is truly driver versus driver. Everybody's got the same equipment. Everybody's got the same deal. Every goes. Everybody goes in the spec GP three car. Go everybody goes in spec GP three car. Everybody <laughs> and. Do 10 laps and see what happens. And you know something? I think you're still going to see the same top drivers on top and the bottom drivers on the bottom and Maldonado in a wall. I mean, seriously, (laughs) I don't think it's going to change anything. And I think I don't think it's hubris on Hamilton's part to say, come on, get in the car. Yeah. And I'll still beat your butt and go from there. Can we jump to Nico and Vettel, or you want to hold that off? I I, I got more. Okay, go. I'm I'm not done. Holy crap! Because the the since there's no trick part, uh-huh. how do you, how do you handicap Mercedes to slow them down? You don't put, drive so fast. It, it's either don't drive so fast, or you make the car heavier. Mm-hmm. That's not you know. It, how would it be if? You know, back in the 90s when Michael Jordan and the Bulls had that run of championships, if the NBA looked at the, at Chicago and said, you know what, you guys are just really too good. We need we need to go and le- level the playing field and equalize it out. So Jordan and Pippen and Charles Barkley, they need to sit out for half the season just to make it even. Do you think that would have? gone over like a lead balloon yeah i would have thought but that, that's what know, he's asking for no what they're asking for is for every time the bulls played that they had to deflate the basketball there could be that too <laughs> but what makes this even worse is that in response to to horner's comments bernie comes out and says horner's 100 percent right which is just living proof that Bernie Eccleston doesn't care about the sport. He yeah. doesn't care about competition. All he cares about is the show. Well, And that's it. I honestly believe fervently that 
Horner and Bernie are making love children. Well, you know, because there was seriously, talk two every years time ago that Horner was his successor. Horner comes out and says something. Bernie's right behind him, going, "He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right." German team. Bernie's German. There you go. <laughs> I, know. I don't know. I lost the article that I had been reading, that I had read to you, that the Formula One is so interested in making the show that that whole process is, that is what is making it boring when yes. people complain about it. It's them. Introducing these artificial constructs and trying to figure out how to how, come up with these artificial constructs. To, to make a show when the show already exists. And quite frankly, this is not WWE. Better yet, you want to see who who's doing it and screwing it up, go look at NASCAR. Yeah. Because they're making – they keep rolling out these changes for the same reason to improve the show because they're trying to figure out why they're having decreasing viewership. And from everything I've heard, these the first couple of races have been a disaster. Well, um, you know, my boss watches NASCAR. I yes. don't follow NASCAR at all. And we have these – philosophical racing discussions that happen every so often i tease him that our cars can make left and right turns and take grain changes and he laughs at me did you ask him what he thinks of the new knockout qualifying system i asked him about it he didn't really i don't think he follows the quality i don't think he follows nascar as much as we follow formula one ah. but he's got a guy that he's following and he's and he admitted yesterday when i was talking to him that he's a fair weather fan and his guy's not doing very well, so he's and he changed cars. Oh. So you know, there's there's a whole lot, there's a whole drama thing. But we were talking about this concept of you know the show, mm -hmm. and he said one of the things that frustrates him about NASCAR the most is that somebody can be in the lead and they're going, 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 and in the last five rounds, five laps. Something can happen if they're not in that right spot. You find this mid-pack person has you know swooped around everybody, and he says it's happening all the time, and it's the way things happen in the sport. And I don't fully hmm. understand because I don't follow yeah. enough to know what he's talking about. But he's like, he goes, all the drama happens in the last five laps. Yes, and he says that's not that's not worth me sitting through watching two hundred laps of a race. Yeah. When it's all going to happen in the last few laps. I can understand that. I guess, in a way, somebody could argue that the drama in Formula One happens in lap one. And then we settle in and we watch it right out for a while and we get a little bit of drama at the end if they're pushing. It depends. Uh, you know, we didn't have that in Bahrain. No. It, it really depends on the track and it depends on the race and where they are in the season because right now they're still trying to sort stuff out. It's one race so, in. Yeah, that's the that's the other thing. Is it's for, a long season. This yeah. is not. This is like baseball. It's a lot of games. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't like football that only has a few games. Thankfully. <laughs> so you want to talk about Ferrari? I did want to talk a little bit about Ferrari. Um. So I started reading an article about. Kimmy had to retire from the race mm -hmm. because he had issues with his back tire. That wheel man is – I'm wondering if he'll be around next week. Um, but the uh, head of Ferrari – what's his face? Marco Mariachi. Thank you. Has called Kimmy Raikkonen a hammer. And that got quoted in headlines and in all sorts of articles – 
and I don't think I understand why he's a hammer. And they tried to explain it, and I still don't understand why he's a hammer. But apparently, Kimmy the Hammer Raikkonen. Explain. You know, the best that I could think of is that Kimmy is known for being a pretty serious partier mm-hmm. and heavy drinker. And maybe Kimmy and Marco went out the night before. Hammering. They got themselves hammered? Yes. And, and Kimmy drank him under the table. I don't know. So anyway, the other article that I was reading about the battle in Ferrari is, okay, we know that Ferrari is very notorious for their team orders and having mm-hmm. a number one driver. Well, here's what we've got. We've got a four-time world champion that's coming off of a really bad year that's, mm-hmm. in, that's the junior driver in Ferrari. <laughs> And we have a world champion in Kimi who's been around Ferrari for a year longer, but he had a horrendous year compared to Alonso last year. So they're both vying for the number one spot, right? Yep. So they're, and, and by the way, they're notorious friends off the grid. They're really tight friends off the grid. So this will be very interesting. So in lap one of the Australian Grand Prix, what does Vettel do? He pushes Kimmy off the track into well, the grass. They were it's, racing. They it was were racing. a racing incident. They it were, was. what, three across or four across through that turn? And that particular push set up the domino effect that ended with Maldonado in the wall. Yeah. So, it's a familiar place for him. <laughs> well, you know, it's where Maldonado belongs. So I just found that very interesting in that, you know, they're vying for this. There's, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing going on and all of that kind of stuff. And I know Kimmy held on for as long as he could with his, his rear tire. But I didn't quite understand how that translated into him being a hammer. Yeah, I, I, I only think Maybe it doesn't translate out of Italian. Maybe that's what it is. I'm just thinking it's the party. Yeah, possibly. So, back to Vettel. Apparently, and we didn't catch this in, in our viewing of the coverage, but uh, there was an interesting exchange between Nico Rosberg and Sebastian Vettel during the post-race press conference uh, put on by James Allen. James Allen, he's the moderator for all of these. Um, Partell, what? Well, I've, I've got the transcript here, and, and it starts off with uh, – um, Nico being asked for his opinion on a huge gap being enjoyed by Mercedes. And Nico says, I hope we can have a good fight. That would be awesome. I think the next couple of races we're going to be leading the way for sure, and we're going to try and keep it that way. But we know it would be good if they can come a bit closer as long as they don't come too close. At that point, Vettel piped up from the other side of Lewis Hamilton. Vettel chimes in. Be honest. Do you really hope so? Seriously? Seriously, they finished 30 seconds ahead of us, and you hope that it's going to be closer. So you hope you slow down. Is that what you're saying? Rosberg, I hope you can give us a challenge because it's important for the sport and for the fans, and I do think about the show. Half of me, or part of me, thinks about the show because I want to give people a great time watching or on the track. So if you do come a bit closer, that would be awesome. Vettel, that's fine. My first suggestion, if you don't mind, could be that your, your garage becomes public for Malaysia and everyone can have a look. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm joking. Rosberg, you can come if you want. We can invite you. Vettel, thank you for the input, invite. I'll come. Engineer's room, debrief. I'll be there. Apparently, <laughs> Mercedes is following through with this offer. Yes. 
and has invited them to the debrief. Bring your clipboards, he said. Well, well, what it was was Nico posted on Tuesday to his Twitter feed. I spoke to Toto and Patty, as in Patty uh, Lowe, uh, spoke to Toto and Patty about an invitation for Sebastian, and they are easy with it. And then a minute later, he posts, Dear Seb, this is the official invitation to join our debrief Friday 1600 at Sepang. See you there. Don't forget your notebook. Now, the problem is Sebastian is one of the few F1 drivers that doesn't have a Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. Maybe he doesn't know about that. Do you know what Toto said when, um, and kind of circling back to Horner, but Seb's doing the same thing that Horner said, you know, about that they're having trouble and they're struggling out. Do you know what Toto said? What? Was it his comment about them that they needed to stop moaning and put their heads down and figure it out? Well, he did say they're effing heads down and <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Hang on. I've got a quote from Toto. Absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of like Toto. He's kind of blunt. I like him. <laughs> you know, I, I don't ever – okay, this will – come as a complete shock because i never praise nbc sports for their coverage of f1 at all and i don't believe this was produced by nbc sports in any way shape or form but on nbc sports before during the weekend there was a mercedes what was that road from I, i don't remember the exact name of it it aired just before nbc's coverage of the race and but it was knowing the road NBC, to the second win. Second yeah, win knowing NBC, they're going to air it at least six more times, mm-hmm. just like they did last year with the the special that they did on on Vettel. The two years ago. Was it two years ago it was that they when constantly was, did it? I think it was during his run. I thought it was for the after. His, I, th- I thought it was after his fourth. It might have been after his fourth, but anyway. If you get a chance to see that, I highly recommend it. Um, a, you get to spend a lot of time up close and personal with Toto. Yeah. In the factory, seeing the folks, that was, I think, what I liked the most was was the 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 behind the scenes look and interaction with the the folks who actually make it happen. And watching them watch the Abu Dhabi race at yes. the factory with their families there mm-hmm. in their folding chairs, cheering them on. The the one question I have is. You know, I know at the races, the team wear is important, and that uniform, I mean, they are almost military-like in how that uniform looks and what they're wearing and, and all of that stuff. In the the episode, that in, in this show that was shown, all the folks in the factory were wearing the same team wear. Is that the uniform they normally wear, or was that only done because they knew the cameras were going to be there? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would guess that team wear is pretty important. I, I, that may be the German influence, if you think about it. I don't know. Uniforms are very important. I don't know. But, I mean, it was fascinating to see what goes on. It was well-made, well-produced. Yes. So that Thus, I mean, I know NBC Sports didn't have a <laughs> hand in it. So, therefore, I highly recommend that. And not just because it's Mercedes-centric. I, I don't think it's um, a long shot to say that we, we do like what Mercedes is doing. But... It was interesting to see how the winter season is not a dead time. Oh, no, not at all. They're working almost around the clock for that time because they have to get ready for. And it it marks the time from before Abu Dhabi through the start at Haraf. 
Yeah. And that's the period that, that they're watching this piece. And so it's all the winter months. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. And you, you see a lot of Toto and Patty and all of the, the brains behind things. And Toto's a very small, a very tall man. And Patty is a very small man. Yes. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting that Toto is a very tall per- man. And he's married to a test driver, which is the other odd thing. He's married to a test driver for another team. Right. Now, granted, he used to have a financial stake in Williams. Which I think he gave up when Susie became a test driver. No, he gave up the last of it about a couple of weeks ago. Ah. But, um, yeah. And, I mean, you can imagine how small Susie has to be. Because, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. But. All right. So, moving past the race and the other things that have happened this past week. Yes. Um, word came out, and this has apparently been confirmed. We, you know, we heard a rumor last week that uh, Renault may be looking to field a works team and to get back involved in the sport. It's been now confirmed that they are actually in negotiations with Red Bull to purchase Toro Rosso to be the new works team. Very, very interesting. Um, will they be using a Mercedes engine? But um, <laughs> I mean, to be competitive. Well, you know, if you had a Lotus running a Renault engine, <laughs> figure that one out. Now it's a Lotus running a Mercedes engine, so scratch your head and try and do that math. But uh, <laughs> but it looks like uh, they are in advanced negotiations to acquire. They also apparently approached um, Lotus, and they approached. Um, one other team. I think Sauber as well. Now, the big thing was that, you know, yes, they've had the team and they've used it as their development uh, path, their development ladder for their, their young driver program. It's not cheap. Right. And that's, I guess, what has them looking. And they they didn't really want the team in the first place. It just happened to be a part of a financial deal that happened uh, some other back dealings that that had occurred that they ended up basically inheriting the team. <laughs> Apparently, that was the old Minardi team. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I would bet that odds are, should Renault take the team, that most of that staff will not remain. Yeah. So, but it looks like that's happening. What's not yeah. happening is the German Grand Prix. Yeah. Again, once again, this is Bernie and his structure. The bottom line is that Bernie doesn't treat the various tracks equally. He does not have a sense of historic tracks. It is about the money that comes in and only about the money that comes in. That's all he cares about. Mm -hmm. And, yes, attendance was down Mm -hmm. last year at uh, Hockenheim and has been going down. But there's no, there's no effort to try and bring that back up. And tracks like Germany, and apparently uh, it still does not look like uh, Italy is going to survive more than two years. Oh, wow. Uh, the big concern with Monza is that in 2022, that track will celebrate its 100th anniversary. Mm. They want to have a Grand Prix there as part of that celebration. 
they can't work out a deal with Bernie to make that happen. Well, you know what track is also having trouble? Silverstone. Silverstone is going to the high court because they are being sued by suppliers based on the new the new head of the Silverstone track. Mm-hmm. So, okay, the Silverstone track is run by this guy. And forgive me, it's going to be sketchy. And I'm sorry it's sketchy. It's run by this guy, but the track itself is owned by a racing group. Mm-hmm. The racing group... Lagging sales, yeah. Money was down. They there was a coup that basically happened, and this new person. Well, they they it was part of that coup, I believe, that got F one back because it left Silverstone for a few years and went to Donington, I believe. And so, part of trying to fix the upside down money issues that this track is having, got canceled all the contracts. He has he has seriously cut all the contracts he's also the same guy that cut the prices yes, in silverstone the, t- the ticket prices the ticket prices and not by a whole lot but got a whole lot more back right. for the the press and all of that of that well they're going to they're going to wind up in the high court and out of that whole process um he's i think he cut four million dollars in expenses but one of the 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 things that said was in order to host the F1 race, he has to pay Bernie, pay Bernie. Mm-hmm. That's nothing else happens. Pay Bernie 15 million pounds. And the thing is, Silverstone doesn't pay full price. I wouldn't be surprised. Silver Silverstone is considered a historic track in Bernie's eyes. And as a result, they pay a reduced fee. Now, Monaco doesn't pay a fee at all because they're considered a historic track. And tracks like Russia and Singapore, they pay a lot more money because there is no historic piece to it. But Silverstone and several of the other uh, tracks, the the European tracks, um, pay reduced fees. But, I'm not surprised. So in so let me guess, Nürburgring, Nürburgring would pay less than Hockenheim. No, Nürburgring and Hockenheim pay the same. They're, the and what they were trying to do this year, they, in order to save it, Nurburgring walked away. They they well, did bankrupt. not. They're bankrupt, and they did not want to pay whatever it was that Bernie was trying. I think Bernie raised the fees. That's the other thing is every year that you host a race under most of these deals, the fee goes up automatically. It's a ladder. It's an upward ladder. It's not even a downward ladder. It's mm. part of the reason why Korea couldn't handle it anymore is because they couldn't handle the up the, the rising fees. Um, but I get lost there. <laughs> Nürburgring and Hockenheim. Hockenheim was – they tried to get Hockenheim to bail them out. Hockenheim, because of the declining ticket sales last year, didn't think with the reduced amount of notice that they were going to have that they were going to be able to successfully pull off a race and turn a profit on it. The – Timing of this cancellation was critical, though, because the way the contract was written, if you cancel a race in, in for other than extenuating circumstances like weather or some kind of a disaster, but if you cancel a race less than three months prior to the scheduled date of that race, you are permanently banned from hosting a race again in Formula One. Wow. So they had to get the cancellation in. They had to throw up their hand and say, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, 
and with the rotating back and forth, there was a possibility. It wasn't even so much that Hockenheim would never see a race. It was that Germany might never see a race. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, who was it that came out and said that the whole reason that the German Grand Prix was actually canceled was because they couldn't stand another German? (laughs) One of of the comments on Twitter was that this is the FIA taking decisive action to ensure that for at least one race, Mercedes didn't dominate. So, Um, so, And sort of wrapping up, we're looking forward to the Malaysia race um, this weekend. It's coming this next weekend. Yeah, next weekend, the Malaysia Grand Prix in Sepang. Only because he likes to say Sepang. Um, we have returning to the grid. It looks very likely that we will see Alonso and Botas back. Mm-hmm. And we may actually see Manor start up a car. Well, we're going to cross our fingers on that one. Now, you know, the other side effect, and we didn't talk about this earlier, is that when Magnuson blew up the engine, or well, actually, I don't want to say that. When the engine blew up on Magnuson, because yes. we don't know that he was responsible for it, if that engine is not salvageable, that counts against Fernando's engines for the season. Yeah. Which means if that's not salvageable, he's down to three engines, and he hasn't even started a race yet. Yeah, but didn't Red Bull also lose an engine? In they um, may have lost two. They lost. They lost one of Ricardo's engines. And they lost one of Kafiat's engines. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another thing that uh, these teams could theoretically be regretting is this stupid engine rule that they came up with. Yeah. I mean, I understand they're trying to limit the costs of, you know, you couldn't put in a different engine for every every event. Yeah. Change out the engine from qualifying to the race or and that type of thing. But – could they not have come up with a rule that read something to the effect of no more than one engine per race and allow multiple engines or have a method of metering out the engine so that it makes out. sense? Yeah. You know, you you replace the engine because something doesn't work anymore, not just because we ran it really hard. Right. Just, you I know. Mean, there's a process for when they run, when they need to change out a gearbox. Yeah. After their certain number. So why not this too? All right. I'm ready for Malaysia's qualifier. We are a week away. Yes. We are a week away from our next podcast. Yes. So people should tune back in and hear our talk of qualifying results and all the news and information Formula One has to have in the next week. Or if nothing really happens, we'll talk about the latest items in the uh, Bloke and the Bird test lab. One or the other. We have reopened the test lab? We do. We have a new item in the test lab. Wait a minute. We have an item in the test lab? <laughs> We've got a couple items in the test lab. Well, I know we have one, a couple of more coming, too. Yes. Uh, we have uh, lots of things. We're going to need it over the summer when we have, like, one race in seven weeks. Yeah, you know, that's – I didn't mention that. that. That's one of the downsides to now canceling Germany is that you, we have three weeks off between Silverstone and Hungary. And then another three weeks off between Hungary and Spa for the normal scheduled summer break. <laughs> so the question's going to be if anybody's going to remember how to start their cars in Hungary, and then they're going to forget it again come Spa. It should be very interesting. Yeah, this is ridiculous with the calendars. <laughs> Stay tuned for all that uh, Bernie has to say and more. Um, don't forget to find us at... 
theblokeandthebird.com or follow us on Twitter occasionally. Oh, just go to Facebook. Or go to Facebook. <laughs> That's where you'll find uh, the BBC's cold open last week. The fantastic open uh, voiced over by Eddie Jordan that described uh, where we are. Yes. I do like Eddie's uh, cold openings. And with that, I think it's time we call it a show. Okay. Okay.